I'm Victoria Doherty, and welcome to the cold. Cold is the way revenge is best served, the way a war was fought, and the way a story should be told. And after um, a week off, we are continuing in the cold this week with our autopsy of the fairy tale genre as well as the construction from the ground up of a brand new tale of magic, morality, and love. And we have titled it Romakai after its heroine. Hopefully this is going to be one for the ages, one for posterity, for the archives. Oh, what I love about fairy tales, well, what don't I love about fairy tales, but what I love so much about them is that they are a wellspring for the tropes of so many literary genres. I mean, romance, mystery, fantasy, science fiction, the paranormal, young adult, historical fiction, horror, probably even thriller. I mean, I'm sure I've missed a couple. To date, on our storytelling journey here, we have examined the following elements. Wishing upon a star, the appearance of mysterious strangers, and the allure of damsels in distress. It's only fitting that we continue by addressing the role magic plays in these narratives. All fairy tales have an enchantment at their core. And the most memorable ones include well, some manner of sorceress casting spells and creating mayhem. Like putting a princess to sleep or feeding a poisoned apple to a stepdaughter. Turning a handsome young lad into a frog or some other beast. The list goes on. Evil queens, witches, and fairy godmothers change the course of a maiden's life, most often entangling her lover in their mischief and providing obstacles, but, but also providing opportunities for our smitten pair to show their devotion to one another, to demonstrate their worthiness of true love. And if a damsel and her prince pass the tests offered by a good or a bad witch, their bond is strengthened and their destiny is sealed. But only if. So without further ado, let's begin with Romakai part four. It did not take long for Romakai and Lionel to begin to savor the sounds of each other's voices, to be charmed by the architecture of a smile, the twinkle in an eye, the sincerity of a touch, to ache when they were apart. Three days, two hours, 22 minutes to be exact. It was after Lionel quit caring whether Romakai 
had come from here or there or where she'd come from for that matter. He only knew that she belonged in the cottage with him. It was after he stopped wondering how she'd fallen into the pond. It didn't matter, only that he'd saved her from the water. It was the moment he decided that whatever secrets she held close, they were trivial compared to having her with him for always. Because if those secrets would, even for a moment, make him reconsider his love for her, he didn't want to know them. Romakai had felt the sweetness of her feelings for him from the first time she heard him say her name. So the three days and some that it took for Lionel to stop asking her questions, to cease in his efforts of trying to get her to remember who she was or where she had come from, were but a waiting game, waiting for him to catch up. She wanted to forget her years in the pond, or at least pretend to, and he needed to imagine that Romakai was just a normal girl, albeit one with a memory problem. This suited them both. Only try as she might, Romakai could not help but be burdened by the knowledge of her peculiar existence of the witch Cressida's curse that had condemned her as just a young village girl to life in a pond for hundreds of years. 298 years, 21 days, and oh, what did it matter? A long time. All to protect her from a suitor she couldn't stand the sight of. A dreadful man who had murdered Cressida, making Romakai's curse an indefinite one. That's why on a Monday, nine weeks, one day, six hours and 10 minutes after Romakai had been carried into the cottage by Lionel, she found herself alone. After many sweet kisses that morning, Lionel had gone to the city for his business. He'd wanted Romakai to join him, but she was not keen on leaving the confines of the village just yet. Of course, she didn't tell him that. Romakai told Lionel that she was feeling tired after a poor night's sleep, and reluctantly, he agreed to go on his own. But the truth was, it had taken her two weeks alone to leave the property on which the cottage sat and she never, ever went anywhere near the pond for obvious reasons. Her fears of unintentionally breaking the as yet unknown strictures of her new enchantment were certainly part of why she didn't wish to go. (laughs) But there was another reason. With Lionel gone, Romakai could rummage through his genealogy research, unencumbered. Once she was sure he was away, she sat down at his laptop 
computer and began working its buttons and keys just the way Lionel had done. Of course, she remembered his every move perfectly. Ravencroft, that was the family name she was looking for. She was sure at least some of the witch Cressida's descendants would still be in the area. It turns out, nearly 300 years does a lot to scatter a family line, and there was only but one Ravencroft left, a Sybil Ravencroft who lived in the next village over. Going to see the Sybil would mean leaving the confines of her village and possibly breaking one of her new rules of enchantment. But for this outing, it was a chance Romakai was willing to take. So she bundled up. It was a cool late winter day, and Romakai was no longer quite as impervious to the cold as she had been when she lived in the pond. And she went on foot to the address she'd found on Lionel's laptop. The walk was pretty and foggy, and with each step, Romakai's trepidations faded. They were replaced by the sheer thrill of traveling to a place she hadn't been to since she was a little girl. Now much of it looked similar. The houses that lined the streets and the oldest part of the village were still there. They just gave way to newer ones, which echoed the older structures in form, if not building materials. The more recent homes were made of brick instead of stone. A brand new store which advertised provisions was but a rectangle with a lot of large windows up front. On the outskirts of the village, Romakai let herself into a gated garden and approached a small stone house one of the oldest. She pressed a button that would alert the dwellers of the house to a visitor. Lionel called it a doorbell. A young woman, presumably Sybil, opened up the door wide, taking up much of the frame. She was no older than 30, with long black hair and a severe middle part. Can I help you? Ramakai cleared her throat and told the woman her name. I'm new to the area and live just down the road, she said. I thought I'd come and introduce myself. Sybil gave her her name in return and invited Romakai in for a cup of tea, just as she'd hoped. The house was nothing like Cressida's home had been. Cressida's had been all dark and woodsy, full of dried herbs and all smelling more of the forest than the forest itself. Sybil Ravencroft's home was light and colorful, with new furniture and modern light fixtures. It smelled of herbs and nature, yes, but it also smelled of expensive perfume and Italian cooking. They sat in the parlor and talked of the weather, of how much the surrounding villages had changed since Sybil was a girl, and how nobody seemed to stay anymore. But all the while, Romakai got the feeling that they were really talking about something else. 
She had sensed this otherness from the moment Sybil had opened the door. The woman's eyes had scrutinized her, and Romakai had the feeling that if she had really been nothing more than a new neighbor come to introduce herself, Sybil would have chatted with her in the doorway for a bit, then made her excuses, promising that she would invite her new neighbor over sometime, but not really meaning it. Ravencroft, Romakai said, taking her chance. She nibbled on some shortbread and blinked her eyes, trying to appear as if she was searching through her memory. I once knew a Ravencroft, you know. Did you? Cressida Ravencroft. Oh, but that was a long, long time ago. Hmm. Sybil leaned in closer and plucked a pair of eyeglasses from her end table. What a lovely necklace, she said. May I? Ramakai nodded and watched her as she beheld the charm, touching the pearl at its center and turning it over to see the seal of Count Furfur. Sybil narrowed her eyes and licked her lips. Where did you get this? Oh, I don't know. Romakai said, quite honestly. I thought it was an admirer that had given it to me, but it turns out I was wrong. Sybil raised her eyebrows and folded her hands. I was most certainly an admirer, she said, but not one you would ever want to meet, I imagine. Sybil draped her arm over her sofa back and looked Romakai up and down. I don't know who you really are, and whether you decide to tell me or not is your business. But I should tell you I knew from the moment I saw you that you are enchanted. And I suppose you've come to see if I can help with that. Romakai wasted no time in telling Sybil her story. The young witch appeared neither surprised nor disturbed by the revelations of her guest and remained quiet until Romakai had imparted every single detail. She then refreshed their tea and added a splash of whiskey to each of their cups. The truth is, I don't know if I'll be able to be of any help, she said. It is significant that a grandmother of mine is the originator of the spell that cursed you, and such a blood bond does have an effect on magic. But Count Furfur complicates things. A mere witch is no match for an Earl of Hell. Isn't there anything you can do? Romakai asked. Well, for starters, I can cast a spell that will uncover the nature of the new enchantment that was put on, on you and, and that, well, that put into play once your lover rescued you from the pond. After that, it's anyone's guess. Sybil got to work immediately, burning a bowl of dried sage and fresh lavender next to an old mirror and a scattering of small animal bones. 
she sang a spell in a language that was probably some ancient form of their own, but Romakai could not understand a word outside of her own name, which the witch used with some frequency during her incantation. When Sybil was done with her singing and chanting, she laid her head on a pillow and seemed to fall asleep. Romakai sat next to her for several minutes and was about to awaken her gently when Sybil opened her eyes and sat up. It is much as I suspected, she said. As long as you wear the necklace, you will continue to grow beautiful with each passing day, more and more so although the process has slowed somewhat since you left the pond. Something about water does that. You will also continue to remember every detail of your life, as you have been able to, and you will remain immortal, more or less. What do you mean, more or less? Well, nothing and no one is truly immortal. Not in the realm of the flesh, I mean. I mean, the world will end one day. Your necklace could catch on a branch and be torn from your neck. You may wish to take your own life. Well, if Lionel grows old and dies, I can see how I would want to take my own life, Ramakai told her. Is there a way my necklace can extend my enchantment to him? Sybil shook her head. Now, for every day you grow lovelier, he grows older, and one day closer to his death. And furthermore, when you die, if you are still under the spell of the necklace, you will belong to Count Furfur forever, and he can do with you as he wishes. But what would he want with me? Romakai asked. The magic is quite clear that it is he who threw the necklace into the pond for you to find. But it was also he who made it possible for you to meet Lionel and fall in love. See, it is he who has plans for you. But as for what those plans are, you'll have to ask him. So I guess we'll find out what those plans are next time, my gold friends. And um, next week, and it will be next week, next week we are going to be talking about the moral center of a fairy tale. Um, how, you know, the curses and the enchantments force our characters, usually our lovers, to make choices. And sometimes those choices are very stark indeed. And um, well are of great consequence so um looking forward to that and i should also tell you that i have started seeing some of the artwork for um of sand and bone which is the second installment of my breath series my historical fiction and fantasy series and i'm the you know my artist and illustrator uh his name is Alex Ekman Lawn, and he has done um, book covers for Aaron Morgenstern and some, you know, just some 
gorgeous book covers in my genre and he has just been doing a fabulous job and he is going to rebrand the entire series and I'm so excited. Um, I believe I'm going to put some of those up on my blog so if you're interested in seeing them I mean it will it will be um, I won't be putting them up till later in the week but do go to my blog. The link is in the show notes but it is um, victoriadoherty.wordpress.com um, So until next week, do stay cold, my friends, and have a great one. Thanks for listening. Thank you.